Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs 10. The title of tonight's study is Wise Words of Solomon, the Wise Words of Solomon. Now, the book of Proverbs is basically about different kinds of people. That is, what they believe, what they do, and how they act together. That is, how they interact together with one another. Now, people create circumstances. All right? They create circumstances that are good or bad. And you and I have to deal with people and circumstances as we go through life. And at times, people are the hardest to work with. Solomon's objective in writing this book, this book of Proverbs, is to help us, all right, to help us to learn to deal with people. And we probably all have our own ways in which we deal with people. Some good, not, some not so good. A lot of times we let our flesh and our emotions, you know, get the best of us. But that's why we need to look at the book of Proverbs and, and see what Solomon had to say. He teaches us how. He helps us to, to learn how to deal with people and how to handle circumstances so that we can have victory in our life for the glory of God and for our good. So let's begin with verse 1 now. Again, Solomon in this proverb, he, he covers everything from A to Z. He covers moral issues, financial issues. He covers contrasts. Um, so again, there's all kinds of nuggets here in chapter 10. But if we get, he begins with verse 1, dealing with family issues. So let's look at verse 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Solomon had a rebellious son, and his name was Rehoboam. Solomon wanted to direct the love and the affections of his son to the Lord God. And the Bible tells us how much Solomon succeeded, as well as how much he failed. And even though it was later in his life when he wrote the book of Proverbs, at least, you know, he wrote it with most of it with his son in mind. You know, they say, you know, better late than never. Well, same thing here with the book of Proverbs. And he wrote it again, mostly with his son in mind, you know, his child. And whether or not Solomon's foolish son, Rehoboam, paid any attention to what his father wrote, we would be smart tonight to pay attention to Solomon, to the things that he wrote here. Because behind, And this is what we always have to keep in mind. Behind Solomon's great wisdom, behind the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Solomon to write these Proverbs. My parents... You know, many parents, I should say, understand this truth of verse 1. Again, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. And I know that in my younger years, my late teens and my early 20s, my own mother could testify to this. You know, when I was going through that time in my life, when I was doing drugs and alcohol and, you know, just out there in the world, 
You know, I, I don't know that I would call it being rebellious. It was just one of the things. It's, it's a, something that just young people do because it's what they do at that age. You know, they're friends and they're you know, wanting to be cool, wanting to be with the in crowd. And, well, this is what you do. And there were many times that my friends would bring me home at the end of the night. And they just dropped me off on my front lawn. You know, I, I, all the cars that I ever owned, you know, at, during that period, I wrecked every one of them. I crashed them all. I, I hit a car and left the scene of the accident at night because I was under the influence. And I crashed my car, one of my cars into the, a, a sheriff's house under the influence in, in 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That was a miracle because when the police came, I, was, I, I had the drugs in my pocket. And they gave me a sobriety test, and they checked me for, and, and you know, I, I was disposing them as they were coming in the bushes, but so they didn't find anything on me, and they, 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 the sobriety test I passed, I think my adrenaline was so, was running so fast because of what I had done, that it just, it kind of sobered me up. And I'm sure that my mother thought, one of these days, Joe, you're going to end up in jail. You know, I came home when I hit that sheriff's house and my car wasn't such bad, I couldn't drive it home. Where's your car? And I said, well, Mom, she goes, don't tell me. Don't tell me. She says, you know, and, and I'm sure it grieved my mom. And though I was never outwardly respectful to my mother, I know the things that, that I was doing must have grieved her deeply. John Phillips, a Bible commentator, tells the story of a couple that he knew whose teenage son went through a rebellious stage in his life. He ran away from home. He got involved in drugs and alcohol, got in trouble with the law, ran with the wrong crowd, did what a lot of young people do during those times, and he didn't want anything to do with the church. And his mother got very depressed behind this. He said the father had to leave the ministry for a while to take on and, and took on a secular job. And then the Lord dealt with the mother, again, who was very depressed because of her son's behavior, what he was doing. And the Lord said to the mom, what have, what have, I, what have I ever done to you that you should be so depressed? Have I stopped loving you? Have I turned against you? Don't you think I know all about your son? Don't you think I love him as much as you do? Is my arm too short that it cannot save? What do you mean by being depressed when you still have me? She was convicted, and she asked the Lord and her family to forgive her. She built up her spiritual life, and she would sing hymns in the kitchen, and she would play the piano. Her son's rebellion that was making her life so miserable no longer did. And it wasn't long before her rebellious son was saved and the family became whole again. And I, I think one of the things that we do a lot, well, I should maybe speak for myself, we have a tendency to lecture our kids, make sarcastic and negative remarks. If you don't change your way of life, you're going to go to hell. That probably isn't going to lead our children into the arms of the Lord. It might just have the opposite effect that we're wanting to have on them. But prayer, love, and patience. 
will do more to bring them into the kingdom of God. But children need to understand that their behavior affects their parents even after they're long gone from the house, even when they're on their own and they have their own children. You could, you, you know, <clears throat> your, uh, children can bring the parents pride and joy or embarrassment and grief. Now in verses 2 through 5, Solomon jumps to financial issues. Look at verse 2. He says, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Speaks of profits and loss here. Now some people bring unhappiness upon themselves by choosing things in life that make things in life important to them that are of a wicked nature. For example, craving satisfaction... Wanting satisfaction out of life, they might do something that destroys their chances of ever finding happiness. God's principles for right living bring lasting happiness because, you see, they guide us into long-term right behavior in spite of our ever-changing feelings. And our feelings are always changing. It says, righteousness delivers from death. You see, righteousness can save your life. Then in verse 3, Solomon speaks out pluses and minuses. Look at verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. God won't starve an honest soul. God promised the righteous that he would take care of them. Again, it's speaking of their soul. There's probably a proverb for every person. This one makes us think of Joseph. He was sold into Egypt at a very young age. And he must have felt that he'd come to the end of his life and that God seemed to be so far away, yet he had faith in God. And we know that God didn't forsake him because in Genesis, where it tells of the story of Joseph, three times it said, and God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And God arranged it so that eventually Joseph was brought out of prison and he was made second in command of all Egypt. Only the Pharaoh was... was had more power than, than, than Joseph. The spiritual man is more concerned about his soul than his possessions. But the wicked man is more concerned with his possessions than his soul. In contrast to Joseph, I think of Judas Iscariot. He chose the money bag over the spiritual things of Jesus. And for Judas, everything was lost, substance and soul. Verse 4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, this is just a simple statement by Solomon of the basic principles of good and bad management. A man or a woman who watches everything, let's say they they have a business or they're in charge of a business, maybe the department manager or superintendent, whatever it might be, that man or woman who watches everything, that is production schedules, the procedures that they're to follow, They check the prices on the materials that they have to buy for the product or whatever they're doing. They watch the overtime. If they're diligent, they'll make money. But the man or woman who runs their business in a sloppy fashion, they often end up bankrupt. Some people become poor because they're, they're bad managers. They're bad managers and lazy. Verse 5 now speaks again, uh, like I said, these are financial issues, the work versus laziness. Verse 5. He who gathers in summer 
is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Every day, we all have the same 24-hour day. Every day has 24 hours filled with opportunities to grow and to serve and to be productive. But it's so easy to waste time letting life slip away. We need to refuse to be lazy, sleeping or just wasting away the hours that were meant to do productive things, meant for productive work. You know, we, we need to see time as God's gift to us because we're only here, for, man, we're here for a short period of time and we don't know how long we're going to be here. Every day is a gift from God that we're alive. And we need to use that time. We need to use those opportunities to live diligently for him because time is short. The psalmist said in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us how to use our days wisely. Ephesians 5, 16 through 17, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Notice, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We don't have any time to waste. And these principles in Proverbs are excellent eternal truths. You know, they're to equip you and me for life. And if they're not working for you, it's not because there's something wrong with the Proverbs. It's something wrong with you and me if they're not working for us. Verses 6 through 7 deals with eternal things. Look at verses 6 through 7. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. We have a picture here of two men in the Old Testament. You could equate this to blessings. It says those blessings are upon the head of the righteous. We could think of David. David had his difficulties, but he was a blessed man. And it says, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. We can think of Saul. He was lawless. Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, Noah. These are a few of the righteous who are remembered And then you have King Ramses, Abimelech, Haman, Ahab, to name a few of the wicked, who we don't think of very much. Verse 8 now, Solomon speaks about submission. Verse 8, the wise in heart knows will receive commands, but a pratting fool will fall. The wise man or woman recognizes good advice, and they accept it. It says here, the wise in heart will receive orders. They will receive commands. They're submissive to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar listened to Daniel's advice and he prospered. But the contrast is the pratting fool. The pratting fool is like a hard head when it comes to receiving any advice. The word pratting literally means word mouthing. Word mouthing. That is, he's always busy running off at the mouth. He's wise in his own eyes. He's full of silly talk and he ends up talking himself to ruin. Messing up his life. There was another king by the name of Belshazzar. And he was a fool. There was a royal banquet one night. And it was a handwriting on the wall where God marked the end of him and his kingdom in Daniel chapter 5. Verse 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. To walk in integrity is to walk with God. 
Whatever misunderstanding there might be sometimes, you know, at, at different times, the one who walks in integrity will be shown to be the one with integrity when all of the dust settles. You know, when there's a problem, and, and like, like it says here, you know, if there's a misunderstanding or something is going on, if you are walking with God, people will see the integrity of your life when all of that is settled out and all the dust settles. For the man of God, the woman of God, integrity is not an outward show. It's not an act. You know, walking with God, being a man or woman of integrity, that's the joy of their heart. It's a way of life. And that integrity brings even wicked men to acknowledge that that his ways are, uh, that, that the man of integrity, his ways are above reproach as, seen, as was seen in Joseph's life. Even after Joseph was severely tested, man, he walked with God. And he was, he was man, he was severely tested. Spent a lot of time in jail that, that wasn't deserved. He was framed. But on the other hand, the person whose ways are perverse, they're twisted. Even though they might cover them up for a while, they'll be found out. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Verse 10. He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a pratting fool will fall. The eye and the mouth should be in agreement or in one accord. They should be in harmony. In other words, how many times, you know, when you see somebody say something, but they're winking at the time they're saying it, you know, that, you know they're telling you, I'm not, I'm not really serious. You know, when they tell you something and they're winking at the same time at you, it means that, that, that they don't mean what they say. Because his mouth and his mind, they aren't in agreement. And when they're not in agreement, it will cause a lot of grief. This proverb would fit Judas Iscariot. Because remember when he kissed Jesus? It was a kiss of betrayal. You know, he was, he was saying one thing and doing another, basically. Because the kiss in this time was meant to be, was meant to, to, to show a, a, a sign of affection and a sign of friendship and loyalty. But it didn't, it definitely didn't mean that for Judas. And you know what? We shouldn't wink at sin. Boldly deal with sin and confess sin to God because it's serious business to God. And sin is nothing to be winked at. Verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. When a person's life is ruled by righteousness, what comes out of their mouth will be a blessing to others. The Bible says that, that what comes out of our mouth should be grace to those who are listening. What comes out of our mouth will be a blessing to others. Just good's word, just sound words aren't good enough to bring a blessing. If the right words come from a heart that's right, from a heart that's in tune with God, a heart that's walking with God and backed by the ways of Christ, then their words will prove to be a well of life, as verse 11 says. It will prove to be a well of life to those who are listening and are thirsty. They're wanting to hear things that, that are good for them. They want to hear things that will help them out in their life. Verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Where there's hatred, there will be bad feelings, ill will. And ill will causes a person to want to tear down the reputation of their enemy. 
and ill will and these bad feelings, this hatred, it will lead to gossip and it will lead to slander. But the contrast is love. Love puts aside all offenses. Love forgets all offenses. Love forgives all offenses. The Talmud says to love a thing makes the eye blind, the ear deaf. Love is the companion of blindness. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sin. The word covers does not mean it condones sin. All right? Love does not condone sin. Because if we really love somebody, we, we will really be grieved when we see them sin. How many times have we seen a, a brother or a sister, you know, that was walking with the Lord and, and they've, something has, has led them astray and, you know, something has happened in their life and they've gone back to a life of sin. It grieves us. It should grieve us. Because sin hurts them as well as hurting others. And, and, and none of us, nobody can hide their sins from God. But you know what? Believers should try in love, all right, to cover each other's sin, and especially from those that aren't saved. Now, what do I mean by that? Because we're not trying to act like, oh, we're all, you know, better than anybody else. We're saved and we don't mess up. No, we shouldn't hang out somebody's sin or their dirty laundry for others to see, and especially Christians. You know, we want to love them to the point where that's what the the word covers here is the idea of of covering a a statue with with a a blanket. All right, it's covering. The sin is still there, but we're not exposing it. A lot of times people like to expose people say, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, did you hear about so-so in the church? And they like to tell, they like to expose their sin. That's what it means. Love covers that sin. It doesn't condone it. They're not trying to hide it. But what we're trying to do, we don't want it broadcast to everybody else. And especially those that aren't saved. Verse 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. The man of understanding chooses his words carefully. And he doesn't cause trouble by speaking hastily or, or, or by speaking foolish words. A fool will bring punishment on themselves by the rod of the law. That is for the punishment of the law, for his thoughtless talk. The whole world, remember, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, the Queen of Sheba she had heard about. Solomon's wisdom. But you know what? She had to come and she had to see it for herself. And she was blown away. The whole world came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But a rod, it says here, is for the back of him who is void of understanding. And this characterizes Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Remember when Rehoboam became king? He wouldn't listen to the advice of the elderly men, the wise elderly men. He listened to the young men that he had grown up with. And they gave him some really lousy advice. And that advice resulted in division and civil war to his nation. Verse 14. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Like treasure. In other words, wise people store up knowledge like something that's valuable, like treasure to, uh, to use on the right occasions. 
But the contrast is the mouth of the foolish, foolish is near destruction. The word near here in verse 14 is equal to imminent, ever threatening. That is foolish words, hasty talk, silly talk. It, it, it's, it's ever threatening. It, it, at any moment, it could, it could cause us difficulty. Because the foolish are always talking without thinking. And when they do, they mess up their own lives. They bring trouble upon themselves and they mess up other people's lives. A fool's mouth gets them in trouble. So does their foolish behavior. Verse 15. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. This, this, this verse 15 is pretty straightforward. The rich man puts his faith in his money. He depends on his money. And on the, the contrast is the poor man doesn't have that luxury when they're in times of trouble. And he's destroyed many times by his property because he doesn't have what he needs to take care of his problems. The word poor, the word poor here in verse 14, it implies weakness. And it implies the inability to help themselves because they didn't have the things that they needed. You know, the poor were barely recognized or, or, or thought of until Jesus pronounced a blessing on them when he said in Luke 6, 20, blessed are you poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Life was hard for the poor and there wasn't a lot of hope, uh, hope for their circumstances getting better. Many people then in that time, you know, like today, think happiness comes from having a lot of stuff, things, possessions, or holding a high position in the workplace. Or enjoying pleasures and popularity that money can buy. And it must have blew their minds. That is the minds of the poor. When they heard Jesus describe happiness as being attained the opposite of what they expected. Not in the possessions of life. But in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They found out what they needed most wasn't a change in circumstances. And how many people think, you know, if, if my circumstances changed, if, if I changed my job or if I changed my relationship with my husband or wife and I, you know, I, 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 I you know, get remarried or whatever, I have, you know, change geography, I'll go somewhere else. Or, you know, they, they think that, that this is going to change their life. But what they don't understand is wherever they go, they take the problem with them because they're the problem. It's not a change in geography. It's not a change in circumstances. It's a change in a relationship with God or to God. It's their outlook on life. Jesus wasn't teaching that being poor was great. He wasn't teaching that being hungry was great or persecution was great or tears were a blessing in themselves. Instead, what Jesus was saying here was blessed are the poor. He was describing the inner attitude of the poor. He was speaking of the inner attitudes that we must have if we're going to experience the blessedness and the joy of the Christian life. Remember, Paul said he learned to be content with much and with nothing. Because his contentment didn't come in things. It didn't come in what he had or didn't have. All of his resources for his contentment were within. It was his relationship with God. And you see, nobody can take that from you. You can never be poor, you know, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so instead of Jesus, instead, instead of him saying all these, these things about being poor or wonderful or, or the thing, he was describing that inner attitude that we must have if we're going to experience the blessedness and the joy of the Christian life. No amount of possessions can ever substitute for a personal relationship with God. Verse 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of the wicked lead to sin. This proverb makes me think of Cain and Abel. The labor of the righteous leads to life. Remember, Abel raised sheep. He brought a lamb for his sacrifice to God. On the other hand, the wages of the wicked lead to sin. That was Cain. He, you know, he raised the, the, he was the product of, lawless, of the lawless. You know, in Cain's rebellion, he brought the fruit of the ground. Paul said it like this in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. And Paul was directing us towards the Christian. And death for him, the Christian that Paul was talking to in Romans 8, 6, it means separation from fellowship with God. God isn't going to fellowship with a carnally minded person. And when the proverb says here, the labor of the righteous leads to life, it means fellowship with God. Think of it. It, it, it sounds so generic. That, that is that, you know, it, 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 it leads to a, 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 a fellowship with God. But if you're not living the life, that means God's not in it. God isn't going to fellowship with a carnally minded person. The righteous life means fellowship with God. Abel was a saved man. The wages of the wicked lead to sin. And that described Cain. Verse 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. This could apply to David's son Absalom. Because Absalom wouldn't accept rebuke. And Absalom made a huge mistake in trying to take the kingdom away from his father. Verse 18. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Hiding hatred makes you a liar. You know, again, hiding hatred. What a terrible thing it is to have somebody pretend to like you. Somebody to pretend to be your friend, and later you find out they're talking bad about you. You find out later on that, that they're really your enemy. That person is actually a fool. You, you, you can catch, catch on to him after a while. And anybody who slanders is also a fool. God had given a specific commandment about this in Leviticus nineteen sixteen. God said, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. And then in verse 17, it goes on to say, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Don't flatter anybody that you really don't like. You're also not to slander anybody. And remember that Joab, he pretended to be Abner's friend. And then Abner, uh, 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 Joab lured uh, Abner out of the city and then Joab killed him. Verse 19. This is a good one. 
In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. In other words, a person who is wise knows how to keep his mouth shut. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.2, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Pinar, and I'm not sure who Pinar is. I, I tried finding him, but it was a quote that I read. He said, speak little, because for one sin in which we may commit by keeping silent, where it would be well to speak, we commit a hundred by speaking on all occasions. Man, the more we let these jaws flap, we're going to say things that are not, not good. You know, in the multitudes of words, sin is not lacking, the Bible says. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious, but doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Our speech is to be filled with grace. Grace. What you say and what you don't say. Man, they're both important. We need to know what to say and when to say it and what not to say and, 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 and what not to say and what not to do it, what to say it. To communicate, to communicate properly, you not only have to say the right words at the right time, but also not say what you shouldn't say. And before we open our mouth, we need to ask ourselves, is what I want to say true? Is what I want to say necessary? Is what I want to say kind? And what I want to say, will it build up somebody or tear them down? Will it help them or will it hinder them? Will it heal them or will it scar them? Verse 20 and 21. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. In Scripture, choice silver symbolizes redemption. Only redeemed lips can speak with authority on the really important issues of life. The lips of the righteous really do feed many. A lot of, a lot of bad advice is worth less than a little good advice. It's really easy to get people's opinions who will tell us only what they think will please us. But that advice doesn't help us. Instead, we should look for those people who will tell us the truth, who will speak the truth to us even when it hurts. Think about the people you go to advice. What do you expect them to tell you? What do you expect to hear from them? Truth? even though it hurts, or they're going to just try to say, oh, you're okay, you're wonderful, and, and make you feel good, and that doesn't help. Paul said to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. In other words, tell them the truth. It means be concerned for their feelings, but speak the truth. And, and depending on how a message is given is how it's going to be received. Verse 20, uh, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he, ha and he adds no sorrow with it. God supplies 
most people with, with the personal and financial abilities to help the needs of others. You know, if we all really looked at how God has blessed us, and if we all used the, our resources to do the will of God, you know, to do God's hunger and poverty would be wiped out. Wealth is a blessing only if we use it in the way God intended. Verse 23. To do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The wicked make, you know, uh, uh, they make their, their wickedness, the things that they do, they make that like a game to them. Being, being wicked is like a game to them. The wicked make their pastime and their amusement in doing evil. Like I said, it's like a game to them. A man of understanding has wisdom. Verse 24. The fear of the wicked will come upon him and the desire of the righteous will be granted. The wicked person dreads death. Those who don't believe in God, they usually fear death and rightly so. They should. But by contrast, believers want eternal life. They want God's salvation and their hopes will be rewarded one day. This first gives you a choice. The fear of wicked will come upon him and the desire of the righteous will be granted. So, This verse gives you a choice. You can have either your fears or your hopes come true. You make that choice by rejecting God and living your own way or by accepting God and following Him. Verse 25. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. When the storms of life and the wicked are... uh, the, The storms of life come, the wicked are blown away by those storms. But the godly, they stand. Why? They have a lasting foundation. And again, this reminds me of the two men who built their houses, one on sand and one on the rock. When the storms of life came, the man who built on his house, his house on the rock, it stood. It withstood the storm because he built it on a lasting foundation. But the other man, the wicked man, the one who didn't listen to the words of Jesus built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, it says that the wind blew on it and, and, it, and the storm was great and, and took down his house. <clears throat> Verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. What Solomon is saying here, and, and you know, if you're in management, you know, and, and you have people that, that work under you, Lazy people irritate you. And I remember when I used to work, you know, being a supervisor and, and you know, um, uh, had people working, you know, as I, I supervise them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the work ethic, and that is even back when I was working, it was just, it was pitiful. It says, he, Solomon compares it like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. You know, when you eat that, that real sour fruit and it makes your teeth gritty and, they, they, and it just, you know, it's just, it's just irritating. And it's like smoke in the eyes. They're irritating. You know, they, they, you have to always tell them what to do. They, they don't look ahead at what needs to be done. And they've been there for years and every day you got to tell them the same thing. Always the same thing. That's what it's like, Solomon is saying, when you put your confidence in a person who really doesn't care about the success or failure of what they're doing. They're just there to get a paycheck. This also speaks of punctuality. Promptness is a measure of respect and concern for other people. 
First of all, it's respect for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, when we go to church or we're in ministry and we're supposed to be there at a certain time and, and we just kind of nonchalantly make it in and whenever we make it in, we, we're late. It's a lack of respect for the King of Kings. And it's a lack of respect for those around us. Verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. This certainly was true in the Old Testament days. God, would, God promised long days to those who obeyed him in the Old Testament. Now, does he make that promise today? He does to a certain extent. But the best extended life is eternal life. Because that goes on forever and ever and ever. Verse 28. The hope of the righteous will be gladness. But the expectation of the wicked will perish. Solomon says here, the ungodly person always thinks that they have the last laugh. They always think that they have it going on. But what do they have? What do they really have? You know, they can hope for the best that this world has to offer them. But what is really best? Is it really health, strength, peace, prosperity, honor, respect, money, a good family, friends, and so on? Now, these are some of the things that the world says make up the good life. The worldly man can hope for these things, and he does hope for these things. But even if he gets them all, death is still waiting for him. The godless man might laugh his way into hell, but he's sure not going to laugh his way out. Again, it says, the expectation of the wicked will perish. Now, the contrast to the worldly person is the hope that the righteous have. Only those who love the Lord have the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. Even though we may not get all the good things of this life, in this life, we, will definitely, we definitely do have something to look forward to. The day that we are in heaven with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Jesus is coming again. Heaven is waiting for us. Heaven is everlasting. And it's the righteous person and not the wicked who has this blessed hope. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. In the path of obedience, the upright man always finds his strength renewed. When he's walking in that path of obedience, when he's walking with God, he will always find his strength renewed. The more he works, the stronger he grows. You get the same idea in Isaiah 40, verse 31. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We read in Psalm 1-6 and Psalm 37-20, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. I'm sorry, here in verse 29. But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity, specifically because they forsake the way of the, of the Lord. Verse 30. The righteous, notice, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. Why will a righteous never be moved? Because they are built on the eternal foundation of God. Ruin and destruction are sure consequences of wickedness. And Solomon says, The wicked shall not only inherit the earth, even though they lay up treasures in it, but they won't even, I'm sorry, they not only, the wicked shall not only not inherit the earth, even though they lay up, they lay up their treasures in it, but they won't even inhabit the earth. Because God's judgment is going to take them out. He'll root them out. The reward of the wicked, it will be quick and it will be sure destruction. 
from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. The same gospel gives life to one and it brings death to the other based on the choice that you make. The same divine hand will soften one and harden the other. We close now with verses 31 through 32. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will, cut, will be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is what is perverse. So the proverb ends with a warning. Verses 31 and 32 again contrast the conversation between the righteous and the wicked. That is, the talk of a good man is compared to buds. Notice it says here, brings forth. Brings forth is the picture of a bud that opens up into a beautiful flower. So the talk of a good man is compared to buds. It brings forth wisdom. And, and, it, and it's, it's controlled by uncompromising righteousness. And it's always full of godly wisdom. A good man always speaks what is pleasing. Now, the, the contrast is the talk of the wicked. The talk of the wicked man is false. He just pours out evil from his mouth. His tongue is like a rotten tree. It says here, it will be cut down. He speaks his stubborn will, and he speaks what's contrary. God has blessed us. God has given man the wonderful gift of speech. That's what sets him apart from the animal world. The difference isn't that man can put words. Uh, the, the difference isn't that man can put words together intelligently, but that he think of it. He can put his thoughts into words. I mean, you just can't even begin to to fathom that. That what we think we can put it into words. As God created, He thought of He just thought it, and, and here, man, let there be light. And, and that was the picture of the creation. Man's words can express the most complicated ideas, and it can also speak in beautiful eloquence. Words can send armies to war. Words can provoke people to anger. It can provoke people to joy. It can make people laugh or cry. So it's not a surprise that God holds us responsible for the words that we speak, the things that we say. And because it's not shocking or it's not a surprise that God holds us responsible for the words that we speak, it's not surprising that Solomon comes back to this same subject over and over again. All through Proverbs, you hear the words speak, tongue, mouth, and several others that, that pertain to communication because God's given us a tremendous gift you know, to share the gospel or to not share the gospel. And so again, we have a great responsibility in the things that come out of our mouths. Father, we thank you so much for this great proverb, Lord, Lord and the many subjects that, that Solomon covers here, Lord. Solomon wasn't just speaking out of his head or with, with no rhyme or rhythm or reason. He, he, he had a purpose for the things that he said here. Even though, like you said, he went from A to Z discovering or discussing all kinds of different topics. It was because they're designed to help us to learn and to be equipped for this life on earth, God. And Lord, we need your equipping, Father. 
So, Lord, we pray that we would continue to be open to your word. That, Father, we would allow it into our hearts. And that, Father, we would, allow, we, would, we would let it dwell in us richly, as Paul said, God. So, Lord, may we be better equipped now as we leave tonight, Lord, in how to deal with circumstances and finances and family issues, Lord, and, and, and work ethic and all the things, God, that we need to know in order for us to be good witnesses for the glory of God. So, Lord, be with us now. Be with us as we begin the new week, Lord. Protect your people. Watch over them. And use us, God. Use us. Give us those opportunities, those openings, God. That open door to share the gospel with somebody this week, Father. We thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.